Welcome. This is week number four in our series that we're calling Things Jesus Never Said. And uh, next week will actually be the, the finale. Real excited about it. Pastor Stephen's going to be sharing that. I'll be away during the week. We'll be back, though, uh, for Sunday. And Susie and I are really looking forward to being in our Poughkeepsie campus, kind of as the acting uh, campus pastors next week. For the finale, as Pastor Stephen will be in Hopewell, uh, sharing the, the concluding message in this series. And uh, really the whole background to it is uh, uh, we're looking at things that people kind of think that Jesus said, but the reality is he said exactly the opposite. So sometimes when you look at what he didn't say, it helps us understand what he actually did say. And so big shout out to our Poughkeepsie campus. As I said, looking forward to being with you next week. And so many joining us online, especially during the summer vacations. This is the 4th of July week and, and so many people in and out. Our online campus is there. So you can continue to connect and track along with us even if you're unable for some reason to make it to one of our three services on Sunday. So we love you guys. It's one church, many locations, and uh, that's really the Valley Way. So 4th of July is coming up, right? And, and we know this, uh, uh, probably familiar with these words, these classic words in American history from our Declaration of Independence that was signed July 4th, 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, shout out to God right there in the Declaration of Independence on our birthday, they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. In other words, these rights are rights from God, is what the Declaration of Independence is saying. And it says what those rights are, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. I, I encourage you, take some time, maybe if, if your kids are a little younger, gather them around you and just read through the Declaration of Independence on July 4th. It's a quick read. It's just amazing, our, our, the founding fathers, the clarity that they had about this nation that was being birthed, literally, as it, this declaration was signed July 4th, 1776. Happy birthday, America, uh, coming up this week, by the way. But, but notice there in those words even, it says the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not the guarantee of happiness, not the gift of happiness. We all have, as American citizens, the right to go after it. But it doesn't mean we're all going to experience it. And so this kind of plays in, I think, in this 4th of July week, what I want to look at Something that Jesus never said that, again, many well-meaning Christians think he did say. And that is this. Jesus never said life is fair. He never said that. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say life is supposed to be fair. And, and, and yet there's this kind of like a total misperception that that, that is the teachings of Scripture, that it's supposed to be fair. And in fact, we're going to look at a, a, a parable, a story, if you will, today that, uh, that Jesus told that uh, really turns that whole idea of fairness topside down, turns it on its head. Because if Jesus said anything, he said, life is not fair. And oh, by the way, we're going to find out God's not fair either. God's not fair and life is not fair. 
So if you have your Valley app, go ahead and open it up because we're going to read this long story, this long passage, and then we're going to spend probably really the rest of our time unpacking it together and, and dismantling this common misconception, and I would say deception. It's not just a misconception, it's a deception, a deception that life is fair and God is fair. Because nothing could be further from the truth or reality. So go ahead and open up your Valley app and you'll be able to follow along and also fill in the blanks. And it'll save your notes as well uh, that you can look back on this as well. So Jesus tells this parable. A parable is a story, made up story that is meant to illustrate kind of maybe a complex point. Make it more simple. Make it simpler. And here it is, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And we'll take some time and just unpack this together. And it starts out, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like. So, time out. <laughs> Jesus is saying, this is how God's kingdom is. This is what it means. To like, this is the way God rules. And, and in Matthew, he says, the kingdom of heaven uh, and when he's telling this parable, other parables in the other gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, is it may say the kingdom of God is like. And the reason why Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, he doesn't say God because the gospel of Matthew was written largely to a Jewish culture, a Jewish audience, and he would offend them if he said the word God, the kingdom of Yahweh is like. And so instead of saying the kingdom of Yahweh is like, Mark, Luke, and John were written to Gentiles, and so they said the kingdom of God, no offense there, but to a Jew reading it, he says the kingdom of heaven, so it would not be offensive and they would just not even read it any further. It's all the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are synonymous. For the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. Now let's just stop there. There was an agreement. In other words, there was a contract. He says, if you come work for me, I'm going to pay you a denarius, which was a common day's uh, wage uh, for, for a day of labor. That was, that was pretty common payment for that time. It was an honest day's work. He said, he, there's an agreement, in other words, a contract that's been uh, entered into. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now watch, it goes on. About 9 in the morning, so these folks were probably like 6 a.m. 6 a.m., like when the sun comes up and he goes, I'm going to pay you an honest day's wage, a denarius for your day's work, if you'll come work in my vineyard. They're like, okay, sure, we'll do that. Yeah, man, all right, we've we got to work today. About nine in the morning, so three hours later, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Look at what happens. goes on and says, and he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He didn't even tell them what he's going to pay them. He just goes, you go to work, and I'll pay you whatever is right. Notice he doesn't say whatever is fair. He says, whatever's right. This is the way it is in God's kingdom. He went out again about noontime and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. He found people that weren't working. He said, listen, you come to work for me and I'll pay you whatever's right. Whatever's right. And so they went. And about five in the afternoon, now quitting time is like sundown. So that could be six, 6.30, something like that. About five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, he goes on and says, Why have you been standing here all day long 
doing nothing. And they respond, because nobody's hired us. And he said to them, you also go and you work in my vineyard. You also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, let's time out, let's stop right there. In Jewish law, you had to pay people before the sun went down for their day's work. Because that way you couldn't like disappear in the, in the darkness and, and uh, they work for nothing and you really scam them. And, and so they were required by Jewish law that you were to pay at sundown when the sun, before the sun was completely down. You had to pay people for their work for the day. And so he says to the foreman, it goes on and says, Jesus is still telling the story, call the workers and pay them their wages, but watch this, beginning from the last ones hired and going on first. Now, Jewish law said you had to pay them before the sun went down, but the, the tradition was you paid the ones first that had been working the longest. But Jesus tells this story and he says, the kingdom of God, God is like, pay the ones that have worked the least amount of time first. While everyone's watching. Don't miss this. This is really important. And, and so the original hearers, as Jesus is telling this parable, they're going like, what? You mean those five o'clock hired folks get paid first? Watch what happens. Beginning at the least ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each one received, what did they receive? A denarius. A full, they got paid for a full day. They got paid for a full day, and they only worked an hour. Jesus is setting them up. He's trying to teach you. He's trying to teach me something about the way God operates, and, and something really, really important about the heart that we have towards the way God operates. So when those who came and were hired first, they expected to receive more. Those that started at 6 in the morning, they, they saw those, the 5 o'clock crowd, those 5 o'clock hires, they got paid a whole denarius, and don't you know they're standing there, worked a whole day sweating, just, just stinking and all this. They're like, if they got paid a denarius, what are we going to get paid? We're going to get paid up in here. It's going to be raining money. Jesus goes on and he says, but each one of them also received a denarius. What? Those that were hired at six in the morning got paid a denarius? They worked all day long? Those that just showed up at the job at five at night, an hour before quitting time, they got paid a denarius? What in the world? When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. Goes on, Jesus continues to talk. But he answered one of them. Don't miss this. Am I being unfair to you, friend? Am I being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? He's like, I got the contract. I got the contract right here. You signed it. You said you'd work for a day for a denarius. I am paying you exactly what we agreed upon before you went to work. Take your pay and go. Watch this now. 
I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Continues to talk. It goes on and says, don't I have the right to do what I want to with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Man, this is, this is powerful. Nowhere did Jesus say life is fair. This whole story, and, and really from cover to cover of the Bible, says life is not fair. This whole, this passage, verse 15 of John 20, all the way down to verse 16, this right here, there's a whole group in our country today that say that is wrong. You don't have a right to do with your money what you want to. You don't have a right to be generous, and we are envious of other people, and so you need to give us some of yours. This is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. This is a biblical statement. Jesus says, life is not fair. Life is not fair. It is not fair. And God is not fair. And he never will be fair. And what we're going to discover is this. You don't want God to be fair. Because if God is fair, you lose, I lose, we all lose, and we will all be separated for eternity from him in hell. If God's fair. Thank God he's not fair. But by the way, this statement here, so the last will be first and the first will be last, this is grossly misapplied by Christian parents that tell their unathletic children who keep on losing in sports, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's not what he's talking about. Y'all need to stop with that. You know, I know there's this whole movement of like sports not keeping score. None of this... Don't keep score. Everybody's a winner. Everyone gets a trophy. That totally doesn't jive with the Bible. Totally doesn't jive. And I'll, I'm going to share with you in a minute where that mindset comes from. It's not from heaven. It comes from somewhere else. And we're just playing into it. Playing into it all along. Think about life is not fair. You know, our next series we're going to be talking about relationship goals. We're going to talk about parenting and and parents, I just encourage you, don't teach your kids life is fair because you are setting them up for heartbreak. Life's not fair. I'll give you an example. My own kids have three daughters. Uh, they, they played sports in high school. One of our daughters uh, earned one varsity letter. One of our daughters, same parents, <laughs> all three came from Susie and me. One of our daughters earned two varsity letters. One of our daughters earned five varsity letters and would have earned eight varsity letters if it weren't for three really traumatic knee injuries that she suffered. Same parents, same DNA, not the same. It's not fair. One varsity letter, two varsity letters, one earned five varsity letters and, and, and injured her knee in her, in her junior year, and that's why she wasn't able to earn the full eight. Made varsity when she was freshman in two different sports. Same parents. In fact, I, I would argue as a, as a father and as a coach, she may not even be the most athletic of our three girls. <laughs> she, 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 may, she, she wasn't the most uh, disciplined hard worker. That was another one, a different one, that only earned two. I'm sorry, only earned one. She didn't have the most heart. That was the one that earned two. 
came really, really easy to the one that earned five. Really easy. In fact, there's an old coaching saying that goes like this. You can't put in what God left out. Because this is just not fair. That's not fair, but it's real. God gives certain abilities, certain talents to certain people, and he gives other strengths and other abilities to other people. And that is not fair, but it's real. It's real. Life is not fair. God is not fair. So prepare accordingly. That's the best thing you can do, parents. Prepare your kids accordingly. Life is not fair. God's not fair. Prepare yourself. This goes all the way back. This idea of fairness, it goes all the way back to the garden with the original sin of Adam and Eve. It is the thing that Satan tempted Eve with, and that is a sense of fairness. It should be fair, and you're not being treated fairly. Let's look at it. It's absolutely amazing. This is why we fell. This sense of it must, it should be fair. Look at it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, the temptation in the garden, when, when Satan comes as a serpent to Eve, and, and he says, you know, did God really say you can't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that? And then he says this. She says, she, uh, Eve says, he told us we can't eat of the fruit of the tree. He said we couldn't even touch it, but she didn't say that. He said we'll surely die. And then the serpent says to her, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Watch. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, he's not treating you fairly. When you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be equal. It will be fair. That's what original sin, that's what plunged all of humanity, you and me, into sin. This, this sense of fairness. It doesn't come from heaven, it comes from hell. That's why we have all the trouble that we have in the world today. Because of this. You'll be like him. And the reality was, they were never more like God than before they ate of that fruit. And the moment that they reached for fairness, they became less than what God wanted them to be. And they lost. When you, same thing for you and me. When we reach for fairness, we lose out on God's best. It's not what God wants for you. It's not what God wants for me. Jesus never said life is fair. Never said that. In fact, <clears throat> Think about it, you know, right now, and this is not a political statement, but I, I think this is, we need to know what the Bible says. You know, right now in our country, there's a real move, a lot of people talking about, like, socialism and stuff like that. We, we need to understand, like, this is, this is not only a big deal in Genesis, the whole idea of fairness, like, we all should be this, we all get the same stuff. God really says, like, that's not the way I created creation. In, in fact, that this whole idea of socialism, it violates uh, the at least the 10th commandment of God's 10 commandments, the top 10, thou shalt not cover, covet thy neighbor's goods. When you see something that someone else has, whether it's a possession or whether it's their wife or whatever, and I want what they have, that's not fair. That is sin in our hearts. That's sin. And, and, and 
Number 10 in the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall not covet. You shall not demand fairness. And it probably also violates the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, where government says we're going to take from you and we're going to give it to you instead so that everything's fair. Does not come from heaven. Does not come from God. Complete violation of Scripture. Jesus says this way, these are the way, this is the way things are in the kingdom of God. That's what this parable is teaching. Three observations about the kingdom of God real fast from this parable here that I think is so very important. It just turns fairness, this whole fairness mindset, this idyllic fairness, which really is sinful fairness. It's envy is what, what is the, 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 the root of this whole idea of fairness. It's envy. I want what you want. I want what you have. I deserve what you have. I deserve what he has. I'm better than this one, but I'm not going to let them. You know, we always want fairness when it's something more we want. We never want fairness when we have more than what someone else has. Three observations about the kingdom of God. First of all, he has a different hiring process. God has a completely different hiring process. God doesn't treat everyone the same. There are five different hires in this story, five different groups that are hired in this parable Five different hours of hiring. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, if, if you're looking for fairness, you're going to be really frustrated the way God deals with you. It's not fair. He has different hiring process. Second thing is this, he has different payment method. He has different pay, uh, method of payment. Again, Jewish law was to pay the workers for the day before the sun went down. Usually pay those who work the most, pay them first. That way, if he had done that, if the, if the vineyard owner had done that, those that had worked the whole day, they wouldn't have been frustrated. They had gotten paid their denarius and they would have gone on their way. And, and finally, those at 5 o'clock, nobody would have known what they got paid. But God says, you're going to know. I'm not hiding this. I'm not trying to do something undercover, pretending like I'm fair. God has announced it. I'm not fair. Don't expect me to be fair. I'm not hiding anything. Understand, I'm not fair, and life is not fair. It's as if the master wanted everybody to know what everybody else was getting paid. Wouldn't hide nothing secret. Here's the third observation about uh, kingdom of God. He has different value system. God has a very different value system than you and I. Again, it's like Jesus is saying, like, in the kingdom of God, you need to understand this, because if not, you're going to get really, really frustrated. Look at what, in the Old Testament, again, this whole idea, God puts it this way, speaks to the prophet Isaiah, and he puts it this way in Isaiah Chapter 55, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. We don't think the same, God says. Neither are my ways your ways. <laughs> you want fair. That's not the way I operate. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and we need to, watch this now, we need to align our thoughts with God's perspective. Not expect God to sway to our personal opinions and preferences. So this is the way that life is in the kingdom. See, God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. 
And that means rightness, but not fairness. Fairness means sameness. Everybody gets the same. You know, if you don't have enough for everyone, you can't have it at all. That's, that's not God. If you want things to be fair, you're going to be really frustrated with God. Jesus, if we were saying, like, Jesus, what are, you, what are you saying here? Are you saying you're not fair? And Jesus would say, no, I'm not fair. You know what I am? I'm good. That's what I am. I'm good. Fair is not good. Fair forces sameness and completely ignores how God made each and every one of us unique with an incredible, unique plan and purpose for our life. And that is not fair. That's good. Jesus says, I'm not fair. I'm good. I'm good. God is a God of justice. It doesn't mean that there should be injustice. He's not unjust. He's all about the right thing, what's truly right, but not fairness, which is sameness. We all get the same pair of shoes, the same home, the same automobile, the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. We're all cookie cutters. Just, just look around you. We're, we're all different. And that is not fair. That's really good. That's really good. And that's the teachings of Scripture. Because we're different. We're unique. Uh, here's some fun facts about God's unfairness. Ready for it? Three, three fun facts about God's unfairness. First of all, He doesn't make us all the same. He doesn't make us all. Uh, we always want fairness as long as it's to our advantage. If it's going to, you know, help us to, to get a leg up, we want fairness. But, but we never want fairness if it's to our disadvantage, if we're really honest. Let me put it this way. Have you ever been happy before uh, at someone else's misfortune? Because we have this thing inside of us that says, yeah, you know, they were, they were cutting corners. They, they got what they deserved. They got what's fair. Our differences display God's goodness. He doesn't make us all the same. Another fun fact about God's unfairness, He doesn't agree with what we value. <laughs> he doesn't agree with what we value. I, I love this quote. I uh, heard it many, many years ago by Anne Lamont. Don't, don't agree with a lot of stuff that she says, but uh, I love this quote. And, and she said, You can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. If your perception of God is he always agrees with you, you know what? You're wrong. He doesn't value the same things we value. In fact, that's what it means to follow God. Is that not, not that we, he, he aligns himself with our opinions. We, ally our, we align our opinions with his opinions. You know, one of the names for God is uh, the eternal one. Isn't that funny? Like, I'm 51, like, expecting the eternal one, the one who was and is and is to come, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, expecting him to agree with everything I believe. My 51 years of wisdom, the alpha and omega, oh, yeah, Greg, I'm going with what you say. 
Instead, he's like, isn't that cute? You're just a little cute. have no idea what you're talking about. You know, not picking on them, but like millennial generation just feel like got, got the world all figured out. Just live a little bit longer. You'll realize there's a whole lot of stuff out there you can't control and you will never be able to change. He doesn't align himself. He doesn't agree with our values. Here's the third thing. This is just really good preaching. This is what Jesus was talking about. He doesn't perform what we tell him to do. He doesn't take orders from us. I, I remember one of my daughters, she was two years old. We put her down for a nap. And, uh, you know, in the afternoon, she'd be like, she said, uh, Daddy, come here. And just having back and forth. She wasn't going to sleep. She wasn't listening to us, not doing what needed to happen. And a lot of it was because she needed a nap. And I remember one time she really, I was home, it was my day off, and she's like, Daddy, come here. I was like, I'm not coming in here anymore. You need to take a nap. Closed the door, walked out. And then a couple minutes go by, Daddy, come here. Daddy, come here. I told you, get in this room, Daddy. And she's standing up in her bed. Get in here right now. And I walked in there, and here's this little two-year-old feeling like she owns the world. And it just occurred to me, like, this is how we do God a lot of times. And I said, listen, when you're done with your little temper tantrum, Daddy and I, Daddy and you are going to have a little talk. There's going to be a little discipline headed your way. So you just let it all out. You call me when you're done. And I closed the doors, walked out. Get in here right now. God, you do what I tell you to do. He doesn't perform what we tell him to do because he's the boss. He's like God. And would he be God if he just took orders from you and me all the time? And our infinite wisdom that we've gained however old you are living on this earth. The eternal one. Could there be an answer for our constant craving for fairness? What's the answer? What's the answer for our constant craving of fairness? So let me ask you this question, and we'll, we'll get to the answer in a second. What's the answer to this constant craving? When, when we read that story uh, about th that we just read there, in Matthew, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 20, which, which group of hires do you relate to? Do, do you relate to the 6 a.m. hires? Let me just point out the extremes. Do you relate to the 6 a.m. hires or do you relate to the 5 p.m. crowd? As we're reading that story, which one you're kind of like, man. You were putting yourself in their shoes. Was it the, the ones that showed up at 5 o'clock for just one hour? Or was it the ones that showed up at 6 a.m., left early, some barely coming up, worked a full day in the steaming hot heat of the sun? See, most of us, if we're really honest, uh, we don't associate ourselves with that 5 o'clock crowd. You know, and that's, that's really our problem. Most of us see ourselves as the 6 a.m. crowd. 
And Jesus put the spotlight on these two extremes when he said, pay those who came last, pay them first. Because I want those who came first to see how I deal with them. And there's something that offends us inside, and it's not the Spirit of God that gets offended. It's our flesh. It's our sinful, deprived, deprived, envious, nasty, dirty nature underneath that we try to hide, especially when we're in church. But it's so real. And that's what Jesus is trying to shine the spotlight on in this story, in your life and in my life. That sense of fairness. It's supposed to be fair. See, the answer and the antidote to our constant craving for fairness is grace. We don't deserve it, but God does it anyway. Did those five o'clock hires deserve a denarius? Absolutely not. But God gave it to them anyway. That's his grace. See, God, he doesn't treat us fairly. He treats us with grace. That's what we need to understand. That's what we have to embrace. That's what we need to walk in. Not, not, a, not a contract. You, 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 you told me, God, this is what you were going to give me if I did this. Not a contract. I hope you don't have a contractual relationship with God. I hope your relationship with God is one full of grace. The first group, the one that got hired first, is the only one that had a contract. And if you and I relate to God on a basis of legalese, you're going to get frustrated by trying to keep rules and regulations, thinking that's what's going to make God happy. That's what's going to get your prayers answered. It's a legal agreement. You don't want to relate to God that way. The people that were crying foul in this story, that's not fair, had a legalistic, I'm keeping the rules, I'm doing the minimum of what is required in order to get what I want to get. That was their relationship with God, with the master. But the people who showed up at 5 o'clock, they're like, this is great. We'll be back at 5 o'clock tomorrow. This is great. This is great. We got a whole Daenerys. He paid us a whole day's wage for one hour. This is the greatest thing in the world. That's grace. And you know what? Grace, when we understand grace, do you know what that does in our heart? Not a sense of, of uh, inflated fairness, but grace gives us gratitude in our heart. I, I can't believe you did this. I, I was only here for a day, for an hour rather. I worked one, and this is what you did. Thank you so much. Thank you. We as followers of Christ, of all the people on the planet, should our hearts every day should be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, and our lives should be marked with humility. Because of what God's done for us. If we really understand it, not, not 
We want it to be fair. I, I don't want God to treat me fairly. I will be separated forever from him for all eternity if he treats me fairly. If he treats you fairly. I need God's grace. God's grace. Probably the greatest man to ever walk the planet, second only to Jesus Christ, was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who, who God used to, to, start, to start the church, really plant churches all throughout the, outside of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. He, he wrote the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, two-thirds of the New Testament. And, and, and you know what you write there? It, it's God's words. It can't be a lie. Greatest man next to Jesus Christ, second only to the one who was fully man and fully God. Listen to how Paul, being honest about himself, because it's scripture, listen to how Paul described himself and see if he sounds like he's the 6 a.m. crowd or he's the 5 p.m. hires. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. He said, I'm the least. I'm not. He said, don't even call me one. Man, there's so many people that are so into the titles. It's all they want. They have no fruit, but they have these big old titles. Second greatest human being in history of humanity says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Don't, don't, don't call me that. Don't, don't call me that. Which group do you think Paul relates to? <laughs> the 6 a.m. crowd? That's not fair. Or the 5 p.m. crowd? He goes on and says, he's, he's writing Timothy, again, Scripture being honest about himself, He's writing a spiritual son, Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Watch this. this is, which, which one is, is Paul identifying with? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Planted, planted churches wrote scripture. Paul says, I'm like, I identify with that 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the 5, 5 p.m. hires. I'm, ju- I'm just thankful to be here, he says. I'm nothing. Are you, are, do you deserve more than Paul? Are you better than he is? He was. Which, which group do you identify with? All of a sudden, uh, this posture begins to form. We read here, Paul's life is gratitude and humility. Which group do you relate to? 6 a.m. higher when the sun comes up? Or the 5 p.m. hires when the sun is almost beginning to go down? If we're honest much as we want to deny it, 
Every one of us is part of the 5 p.m. people. Every one of us is. We are certainly no better than this man. See, Jesus even put it this way in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I don't know about you, okay? Maybe, maybe it's different for you. I'm sick. I'm sick, and I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus really, really bad. I, I haven't earned it by working a full day. I don't deserve a full day's wage. I don't deserve forgiveness. But Jesus offers it to me, not because of anything I have done, but he offers it to me because of everything I have done that have messed it up so bad. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. He's talking about himself, the great physician. He said, I came for the sick. I, I, I've come to call, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the longer that you work in the vineyard, the easier it is to become self-absorbed, compare yourself to others. As long as you've been walking with, with Jesus, it's just too easy to begin to presume, not only to begin to presume things, but, but also to have a distorted sense of reality about how good you are, how holy you are, how better you are really than the person sitting next to you right now listening to this. All that is 6 a.m. thinking. The hardest part of life in the vineyard is not life with the master. The hardest part is living with those who think that they've got a right to be there. Instead of those who are just grateful that the master gave them a chance even at the last hour of the day. So here it is. God is not fair. That's why he died for me. If God was fair, he never would have sent Jesus to die for you and me. We would, each and every one of us, have to die for our own sin. That's why Jesus came, because he's not fair. That's what grace is all about. God so loved the world, he did something that was not fair. He gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God's not fair. God's good. If you're living a contract relationship with Jesus trying to earn your way, I just encourage you to tear it up. There's a better deal that he made with you. He made with you on the cross through his sinless life and his sacrificial death. As a substitute, he paid the price for you and for me on the cross and he rose again from the dead three days later. There's a better deal than the contract. Tear it up. It's called grace. Grace.
I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, right now I just believe, even as we've looked at these words of Jesus, that really have communicated and taught us that life is not fair and that you're not fair. Lord, your Holy Spirit gently has just revealed to many of us really this, uh, this fairness issue in our hearts that's so wrong and so out of alignment with you. God, forgive us. We, we, we're sorry, Lord. I, just right now, with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if, if that's you, I just, I just encourage you right now where you are, just, just say, God, forgive me. Just, just whisper that to the Lord right now. God, forgive me for holding on to fairness. God, forgive us. And right now in this moment, also with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just, I just encourage you to say to God, I receive your grace today. Just say it right now. I receive your grace today. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers today. And may we leave this place where we're gathered with a different mindset to serve you and to live by grace from this day forward in relationship with you. And right now, I just want to take a minute still with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you've never taken that first step of faith of putting your life in the hands of Jesus Christ and receiving him as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I, I just want to lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me. In this moment, just open your heart to him. This is between you and God. Again, you can do this in a whisper. It's not to single you out or make you shout out. This is between you and God. If you've been trying to earn your way to heaven to be good enough, God's got a better plan. It's called grace. He sent his son for you. And so just repeat this prayer after me and open your heart now to Jesus for the first time. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I turn from them today and I trust my life in your hands, Jesus. Jesus, I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me, by your Holy Spirit from this day forward and I will follow you. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. Amen. Amen.